Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 59 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Bievenet. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? There's some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So we're actually back at St. Joe's. Back in the CBD? Yeah, we're back in the CBD at St. Joe Lofts. Um, commandeering just for a hot minute the uh, the lobby over here. And uh, it's a nice, cool, quiet place to chill out. Uh, we had our episode 50 here, so we're just, just back a few episodes later. And uh, I had found, uh, while digging sort of in poetry news this week, an article that popped up, a, a website, some of you may know it, Atlas Obscura. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of working with them. and But it was, Atlas Obscura tends to tackle these, they, they seem like they're, they're, they're tackling these different new topics. They're actually doing like news cycle stuff now, you know, a little bit. Kind of in a certain, like a certain twist on it. But yeah, they're finding ways to maybe yeah. put it's, some things in it, there. It's almost kind of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not type thing. A little bit. It, yeah. it, 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 it has it's a cool kind of feel, it has a yeah. feel to it. It has a cool feel to it. So they uh I I just found an article from the first of May this year, um, written by uh someone by the name of Kara Giamo. And the uh, the article is titled An Algorithmic Investigation of the Highfalutin Poet Voice. Um, with a picture of uh, Allen Ginsberg reading, reading a, in a London. A very dramatic <laughs> picture of Allen Ginsberg where he's outside reading with a cop looking on. Yeah, and sitting on a ladder. He looks like he's proclaiming some sort of his poem. Yeah, the the seven different you know lineages of Shiva as birth through his excrement or whatever <laughs> or whatever Ginsberg would, <laughs> would be writing about. What is? What is what? Is that part of his shirt? What's going on with that? Yeah, it looks Those like it's some beaded, some of sort shirt, of cool guess, beaded yeah. shirt. He's got some big, uh, big uh, braids going on his head, right? Now he's got some nice big beads. Yeah, but That's he's nice. yeah, but but he's uh, sitting on a ladder of some sort. Indeed, yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird shot. It's a weird shot, of Ginsburg, but. You know, it's really funny that they use Ginsburg as the the cover image of this of this thing because it is particularly funny. I don't think of him as being highfalutin. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've always I was always incredibly inspired by Ginsburg's readings as as being this um, sort of like um, I don't know how I put it. I think the thing that resonates with me the most was 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 maybe once when Ginsburg said something like, you know, the poet stands naked before the crowd, you know, and he stripped naked and you know read a poem. But yeah, I, but yeah. I but I but I you know I don't know I think I always tended to think that that Ginsburg was sort of falling into this um, tradition um, you know he was he was really kind of evoking Whitman and he was like evoking certainly this, like, I mean this, he, he idolized Whitman yeah he yeah. idolized Whitman but but he but he was but he was also he was also like evoking like um, Pound and Eliot and all these other like writer types like in his which, performance which I think people would think more fit into so. Before we get into the article itself, and I do want you to kind of tell everyone what that's about a little bit. Before the the kind of there's a study that there is kind of their reason for talking about this, but they talk in general about this idea of poet voice, and I think we've certainly I've certainly seen other people complain about this before. What do you what is what do people mean? Do you think when they talk about poet voice? You know, I think I've heard this. Uh, we can we can sort of work backwards here, but I I I I think that I heard this uh, poet voice. I think for me, it's most exemplary through uh, slam. I think that it comes through for slam, and I think maybe there's a specific type of slam poetry voice. But that's not what they're talking about here. But yeah, that's another kind of poet voice. Yeah, I guess it is a poet voice. But I think what they're talking about is they're talking about this. Really, sort of particular—is um, it like a holier than thou thing? Is, is it like a—it's like it's like a, a token kind of like generic type of sort of like uh, 
higher than I don't even know. So I mean, it exactly. seems like they're definitely talking about something like the kind of way, which is a little confusing to me. But they're definitely talking about academic poetry. Readers. They're talking about academic, yeah. And I think that you know, and they're and they're 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 expressively picking apart Iowa in this a little bit. In this, yes, yeah. And uh, although although in the study, it uh, tackles like a whole different thing. Tackles a whole different thing, but they're talking about the academic voice. They're talking about this type of delivery, this this sort of like type of delivery that sort of expresses this uh, dominant form of poetry. Like I don't even know. So do you want to kind of just walk us through what the what the article's about? Yep, sure. So basically, what 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 happens here, right? Is the article addresses this? It, it addresses this study, right? It addresses this. I mean, it does get to that, and I guess that's ostensibly the reason for them doing this. This new study that came out, and we'll talk about the study more specifically in, in a minute. What are, what it's, was your? I think it's I think it's focusing on these sort of like vocal ticks, these sort of like particular ways yeah. that delivery is received, and the way that sort of poets, um, you know, will work through a, a set of poems, and these sort of like off kilter pronunciations that aren't common use, but maybe they're like exact use where you know like that's part of it right yeah. it's not common use it's like this like high um brow type of delivery um i was i always think of it's all i always think it's always funny i think i just said this in an ep- recent episode but you know like every every academic poet i swear to god who i ever hear read always says i think i'll just read two more poems now well yeah which is a whole nother meta <laughs> part of that but there's that too I think that's part of it, though. Yeah, I think that's sort of yeah. part of it. It's like they're counting their poems. But it's this idea of this sort of academic voice. And it's this thing that's coming through academia. It's really rooted in sort of like this sort of proper English. Um, but it's like proper English is like, well, I don't even know what that is. Any, any, I mean, we're in New Orleans, so things are completely different down here. Even, even, the acad- yeah, even in academia. Although I can think of several academics here in New Orleans that definitely – um, subscribe uh, or just naturally do this sort of this sort of highfalutin poet voice. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, the the article goes on to talk about this sort of monotonous droning. It's like a monotonous type of reading. So, yeah, and it's and, and they're they're talking about how it's like it's it's pretty boring. You know, it, it lacks sort of an emphasis. It lacks it lacks a dr- dramatic persona. It, it really just presents this. It's a, it's like a, it's like a really direct read almost. So now I'm, I'm confusing this article with other articles I looked at about people complaining about poet voices. I looked at this, but that's one of the things that I found very strange about people talking about this is there seemed to be on the one hand, the complaint about poet voice was it's not the way people normally speak is one complaint. And yeah. they, and they seem to say, okay, well, people are pausing unnaturally and they're making their voice fit this regular cadence where everything falls, where the rhythm falls in the same spot Easy. every single time. So on the one hand, they're doing that. But then on the other hand, they're saying, oh, but it's not very expressive either. It's, it's not, like a suppression of emotion there. But, it's, but there's kind of this double thing. And sometimes they're complaining that it's too theatrical. And then at other times they're complaining that it's not expressive enough. Yeah, but I think the, the, the highfalutin word here is like they're talking about like this this like sort of um, stylized stylized presentation of, of, of speech through, you know, a reading. It's like a really particular thing that I think happens at readings and readings only. I can't think of another time when anyone's talking like that. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time pinning down what they're actually talking about. So, yeah, so you think that the article is a little little short and it's sort, sort well, of I don't, shortcoming? I don't mean it's just this article. I looked up a couple of, there were, you know, there have been a couple other art, big articles in the past complaining about it. Um, I think I found, oh, this one, which wasn't, you know, necessarily based on any kind of of study, this one by Lisa Marie Basile or Basile, I don't know how you say her name, where she said, "Poet voice and flock mentality: Why poets need to think for themselves." 
and it kind of covers some of the same ground. The part of it, of what she's saying, that I actually think is kind of interesting is one of the complaints she has, which I think is mentioned in the Atlas Obscure, Obscure article, is that in her opinion, people are imitating what they think a poet should sound like. And that's what they're doing, and that's like kind of her main complaint. Is that rather than finding their own way of reading, they're they're just reading this way that they think a poet's supposed to sound, which I think is fair. Yeah, and I think that's fair, and I think that I think that I, t- I, I, I think that there's actually quite a few people that do that. You know, I mean, maybe we get a little bit of a different mix down here in New Orleans, but uh, because I think there's like a diverse, more of a diverse crowd of, of people than some. But, you know, I remember living in Amherst, Massachusetts, and I, I definitely think that this voice was present. Through... I mean, yes, but I have a hard time figuring out what the similarity is there, because even in these articles, even in the Atlas Obscure article, like you said, they, they put Ginsburg on the, as the picture on there, and Ginsburg's one of the people mentioned in the article and in the study. And I don't think of Ginsburg as being I don't either in the same place and actually when I look at the list of names I don't some of these people I can say yeah they kind of read alike other people I don't think read very alike at all and then I started thinking about academic poets that I've heard heard recordings of or big poets like who are you trying to imitate if you're reading when you're a kid and then I think of like some of the first recordings you hear. Well, there's recordings of Whitman and those silly wax cylinders. That's very different from the way I hear most poets read. I think of Sylvia Plath. She doesn't read in a way that I think would fit into what people are talking about poet voice. I think of Theodore Rucky, who's very dramatic, but he's super expressive. He's like, I knew a woman, lovely. Inter- yeah. You know, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't seem to really be what they're talking about at all here. And I can't help wonder if this whole construct of poet voice isn't even a real thing. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think like, I think that there is a poet voice though. I think that there is, I think that there is something that's been propagated and you know, it's like, it's like really in the delivery and it's in, I don't know. I think there is like a type of, I think there is like a type of, do you think there's really a common thing in, in the delivery of all those people? Or is it just that they're all speaking in an unnatural way, but they're not doing it the same way as each other? Yeah, maybe so. I just think of a lot of, I think of a lot of readings I've been to, like even, you know, when we were at the AWP, Megan and I were at AWP, I think there were some people who read very boring and very, very bland. Um, I, what's I mean, really tricky yeah, is that sometimes the work that. is... Sometimes the work is really good, yeah. and the reading is just bad. I agree with that, but are all those people who are reading boring? I don't find them reading boring in the same way, necessarily. No. I don't know that I see some poet voice that everyone's using. I think there's a poet voice. I, I do. Well, maybe we should get into this study that we're talking about. Okay. So, so the actual study. I got to look at the study a little more closely, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of summarize some of that, but... From your reading of the Atlas Obscura article, what did you get as what they were saying the study said? Uh, well, they were they were basically getting at that they tested they they recorded what they recorded a hundred uh, they took a hundred poems they took sixty second snippets of a hundred poems and three of them were what pre nineteen fifty and then fifty of them sorry fifty percent of them were pre nineteen fifty. And then 50% of them were post-1950. And they just took the first 60 seconds of them reading. And they compiled sort of a database of this of this sort of stuff. And then the, what they, they crossed it with a bunch of normal speakers speaking normal conversation. Isn't that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want I want you to say what you felt like the article saying first before I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, 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 they crossed it with a bunch of just people talking normal conversations. But, uh, but then they compared sort of like the poets and talkers and they, uh, sort of assembled this idea of like the, what the pitch range was in, in those clips. And then like, what was the range of pitch between the poets and what was the range of pitch between just sort of normal everyday speech, right? Normal everyday conversations. And then they took a look at that. 
they took a look at that and they analyzed it, right? And then they decided that ultimately that poets spoke less, that, that, that poetry or these poets that they had assembled, the selection, spoke with a, with a, with a, uh, a less variable pitch rate than the normal, normal people do in normal speech. Is that kind of what it was tackling? I mean, that seems like... Yeah, so I think I think you pretty much... That's what I took away from reading that when I read that. And I actually also read a HuffPo article about it, which I think didn't do as good a job as Atlas Obscura, but it, it felt like it was saying a similar thing. So I was kind of surprised to see when I looked at the actual study that that's not really what the study found. <laughs> So, so there's a study, right? So they based this article on a study that was just released in April during National Poetry Month called Beyond Poet Voice Sampling the Non-Performance Styles of 100 American Poets. Yeah, so, and this is in the Journal of Cultural Analytics, which I'm not really familiar with. It's in, I thought that this was going to be a linguistic study, and in some ways, that seems to kind of be the methods that they're using. But I don't think this journal is particularly a linguistics journal. This seems to be just any kind of thing where you're analyzing data to, to look at something in the culture. It seems like looking at what some of the other articles were. I might be wrong about that. I'm just not familiar with this journal. Um, it is a peer-reviewed journal. I don't know. I don't know much about it. So... Yes, I think your basic description, the, the description of what the study did in the, in the article, like you said, is pretty accurate. So they took these hundred poets, they found recordings of them. Um, I think in here it actually tells us who some of them are. They said uh, John Ashbery, Jory Graham, Robert Haas, Terrence Hayes. Ann Lauterbach, Heather McHugh, Adrian Rich, Kay Ryan, Mark Strand, Ellen Bryant, Voigt, Ray Armantrout, Rita Dove, Luis Gluck, Jory Graham, Yusuf Kumunyaka, Ted Kuzer. Um, and when, when you look, James Tate, Franz Wright. So I think they were trying to get a smattering of different types of poets. Yeah, well, they did. I mean, it, it, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's, it's everybody, it's a lot of people that you, you, you know, a lot of people you've heard of. Oh, okay, there's a lot of things I find a little bit weird about this article in the way that it's published because before you even get the introductory material, which I think that's normal in an academic article in the introductory material to kind of opine a little bit, they're really setting out believing that there is a poetry voice and that there's a problem with this, which I find to be a little bit problematic. But they're, they're definitely setting up with that idea. But when they're talking about their methods, they said what they really wanted to do was compare these poets reading to the same poets speaking. Yep, that is what they said. But there wasn't enough recordings of each of these poets speaking to be able to do that. Yeah, I actually think they, they, they have a problem with that because it's sort of the joke in the article that it says, try finding any recordings of these of people speaking, of these famous poets speaking about anything other than reading poetry, right? It was really hard to find that. Yeah, it, well, and they actually did talk about it a little bit, and, and some of them they could, right? But it wasn't enough to be able to do that for every single one, which really just kind of messes up their, yeah. their details if they were going to try to do it that way. And another thing, which they do point out, but is another kind of issue, is the recordings of poetry they use is a real mix of things. Some of them are live recordings. Some of them are recordings made for like Penn Sound or like Poetry Foundation podcast yes, or something like that. that's where they dig for all this stuff. Which I have a problem with. Because, because live. I think it's all been mastered? Well, no. I think there's a real difference between how I read if I'm being recorded at a studio and how I read if I'm in front of a live audience, true, where you have to project, that makes a real difference. In it, it does. So, I'm already like a little worried about the data that they're giving us here. Okay, but they compared it, like you said. So, there's all these 
conversational speech corpuses, which are which is pretty widely used in linguistics, right, to compare, to look at the frequency of various things in, in everyday speech that have been reported. They picked the one out of Ohio, like we were talking about earlier, because for some reason people think Ohio's kind of the standard accent for America, right? So they use this, uh, oh, let's see, what is it called? The Buckeye Speech Corpus, I think is what it's called. The Buckeye Corpus of Conversational Speech from Ohio State University, 1999 to 2000. And they compared those. That's funny. Because you know there's a thing in Cleveland that's called like the non-accent. It's like a thing that people go to Northeast Ohio to become newscasters. Or new, There's a bunch of newscasters who, who started, who, who are from Northeast Ohio because it's like a blind, it's like the most boring non-accent but can you have a non-accent really that's funny though because i think like i think like midwestern tends to be but also not midwestern but like rust belt tends to be this like non-accent sort of place but i but it's also again a weird choice for this study to me because you heard the list of people that they were reading where are the majority of those people from the east coast Mm mm-hmm does that seem like it makes a lot of sense to compare? Huh. I don't know. So I'm just having a lot of problems with it. But then what they actually found, they break this down by ethnicity, by gender. And like you said, they're, the main thing, the main three things they're looking at is pitch change through the course of the sample. They're looking at change in pitch speed and then they're looking at pauses for the male poets there was no statistical difference between speech and the readings the only difference was for female poets yeah which is not how these articles are being reported at all they're leaving that out huh wow that's interesting it's almost unfair yeah, that doesn't really make any sense to leave that part out. It doesn't make... Well, no, it does make sense. It's because that's not a story, right? People have this pre-existing idea of poet voice, and people want to shit on poets who are reading that way. Even though this kind of says what I already kind of suspected, that there's no objective evidence of a poet voice. Like one thing that you can put your finger on, this sort of tangible. Yeah, and this is we know this. Like linguistic in linguistics, this is talked about all the time. Linguists always talk about this. A lot of these things that people pick on in speech really have to do with other cultural signifiers and don't have anything to do with the actual speech act, right? Hmm. So, which makes it even more interesting to me that the difference is for women. Now, in the paper itself, they speculate that maybe the reason is that women are trying to sound like male poets. Ooh, well, which is I mean, a possibility. Which is a possibility, but I don't intentional. Well, that's what they're kind of suggesting is that maybe because there's more male poets than female poets, women are, whether they consciously know it or not, maybe they're setting out to sound like these male poets that they admire. Maybe. Which I don't think is outside. I mean, and this is in the speculative part of the paper. They're not. There's no data for it for this, right? But sure. they're just trying to make sense of the data that they got. Sure. And that's one of the that's one of the speculations that they offer. Well, I mean, I don't know. That's like seems like a little bit of a step speculation, right? I mean, I don't think. I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know necessarily any female poets who are, I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's funny, right? The, this paper set out thinking that there's a poet voice. Almost looking for it, right? Looking, definitely looking for it. And to me, I would say even if they found it, I would find this questionable for a lot of reasons because I don't know that that's fair to compare some live reading, some studio recordings. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's compare it's fair to compare 
anyone reading poetry to speech anyway. I think it would be more fair compare reading poetry to public speaking. Compare reading poetry to something else, which is a performative act. That's different. When you're talking to someone, why would you expect poetry to be like conversation? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily expecting that, but I think I think uh, I think it's I maybe expecting poetry to be like a little bit more dynamic than um, than initially might have been. Okay, but why 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 compare it to a conversational corpus? Is my question. Is that a fair way of figuring out what poet voice is? No, because what because like you said, let's think about the elements involved. Because we're going in circles here, but let's think about the elements involved. You're reading in a crowd of people. There's going to be like the tenor of the space, where the podium is. Is it a mic? Is it you know? Because I always like to tend to like read the room, you know. And sometimes you read a poem, and sometimes like the crowd is just right, and you like really read it quietly and bring them in and win and like win them over and win win your trust. But sometimes you have to move barrels around and you got to get on top of them and make the mic really tall and jump from barrel to barrel. A more apt comparison to me would be something like public speaking or theater or you don't expect to go to a theater unless you're a fucking moron and expect the actors to act like regular speech. There's definitely a high flute and theater voice. That's for sure. But there's a reason for that is what I'm saying. There is. There is. You can't like... That, there's a reason that most people who are good theater actors are not the same people who are good movie actors, right? Because those are very different things, right? To be, to have a boom mic over you and not be projecting to the room is very different than if you're... Yes. You and know? also like in a studio with headphones on and that whole thing. Yeah. You're going to read it completely differently. So none of this makes sense how this was conducted to me. Huh. And then, but it also seems like you're setting yourself up, except they still didn't manage to get it, to get any result you want. You're looking for, you're like, we're saying there's a poet voice. We're going to compare all these different factors of speech. We're not saying this is what it is. We're not making a hypothesis of, we're not making a clear hypothesis, a hypothesis of saying this is what poet voice is. We're saying we're just going to look for anything that's different from normal speech. And if it's there, that proves that there's poet voice. And then they didn't even find it. They, they only found uh, it for female poets. They only found it for female poets. Which which was which was also sort of weird. Because didn't it come... Wasn't the conclusion of the whole thing was that the least, uh, the least pitch rage was African-American female poets? And then... And the, but the greatest pitch rate range was... Uh, sorry, young African-American... Female poets, but the greatest pitch range was female older. Yeah, exactly. Age. It was like born before the sixties or something. Uh, that doesn't even make sense to me. It kind of makes sense if it's something cultural, right? It kind of makes sense if it's something cultural, but then it's but then that supports what I've been saying all along is I don't think this is really one thing. I think you've got a bunch of different poets for a bunch of different complicated reasons that are all reading in different ways that are all different from normal speech. <laughs> But there's not really something consistent going on here. If there's a poet voice, you should be able to show what is it that's consistent between all these people. I think what this is really about is about poet bashing when it really comes down to it. Huh. And and from and from some poets about academic bashing, it's MFA bashing, right? Which is fine. There's problems with MFAs. I'm not saying there's not something wrong with it, but this is just a really unfair attack on those things, I think. You know, I don't think this is a this this author in 2004 there was this um, ar- article called uh, an essay called poet voice and flock mentality where this woman um, is it Marie Basil ba- that's the one I was talking uh, about connects, well, that's a different one yeah connects no, that's it to the, the one I was sort of about. It connects this whole thing to this overall lack of diversity in the field right and uh, she writes she writes that it delivers two messages I am educated I am taught I am part of a group now look that part of it. I'm going to say is absolutely true. Like I, I, I feel that like when you, when you go to like an M, when you go to like a reading, that's just MFA, right. Or it's just a bunch of MFA writers and it's just them. They do all kind of tend to fall into a very similar voice. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. And I would say I, what I see more similarity than in, than their reading style is their writing style. 
I see much more similarity in the writing style of MFA students than I do in the way that they read. But how much do you think that the, the, the reading style, like how much do you think that those things contribute to each other? Well, it contributes somewhat, but I also think a lot of it is what I see is a consistency among a lot of people coming out of MFAs is that they don't have much experience reading in public. That's true. And that when they do read in public, they're almost always reading to friendly audiences. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm really racking my brain about like all the MFA readings that I've been to, like just seeing like strictly just like an, a reading put on by an MFA group. And, you know. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like, I'm thinking of like when Jen and Mel put on Tenderloin readings. And there were several times where it was almost entirely people who had recently graduated from LSU's sure. MFA. I didn't really see them all reading the same. And if you want to talk about diversity, there was a lot of diversity as far as Meeting. ethnicity, race, backgrounds. Sure. Right? There was a lot of there. But, yeah, they all read Too Quiet. But I don't think that's because they were imitating something. I think that's because they're nervous about reading because they hadn't had a lot of experience reading. And they're in the most of the experience they had in the past was reading to their group. To a group of other academic poets who are pretty receptive to that, not reading in a karaoke bar where you've got a bunch <laughs> of people sitting in the background who are like, What is this fucking poetry shit that's yeah, going on right now? That's so true. That's funny. And I think that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, and I forget sometimes because I almost never read in a friendly circumstance anymore. It's been years since I have. I almost entirely read in circumstances where poetry is not supposed to be happening. Yeah. And I think that makes a difference, right? That makes you necessarily have to be a little more performative. But I also think that's weird. I don't like, I also don't like this idea that a poetry reading should be like speech. I think that's asinine. Oh, of course it shouldn't be. So, yeah, so you're saying, so that idea alone is disconnected from the idea of, of a poet and poetry and performance. and Yeah, well, and it's like this false understanding of sincerity, right? And poetry shouldn't be sincere. <laughs> Art, that's fine if it is sincere, but that's not the goal of it. Art is necessarily a construct you necessarily, you wouldn't, you might want something to feel sincere, but it mostly only feels sincere by being an artificial construct, right? Ooh, that's a good one. So you're saying, uh, explain that a little more. So you're saying, you're it's saying, like if you're putting on a play, yeah, it would be absurd if you were like, I'm only going to cast people in this play who've lived this exact experience of the character they're playing. That would be ridiculous. And it would be a shitty play if you did that. Right? Because you can't find actors that are going to have lived the experience of... It's not about that. It's about being an artist. And being an artist is making... It's trickery to some extent, right? Like, there's always an element of trickery to it. Hopefully it's honest trickery. Hopefully you're using your illusion, using your abilities of creating an atmosphere, of creating a feeling to make something that's worthwhile feeling. But yeah. you can't do that. If you just get up on stage and talk about your life, that's going to be shitty unless, I mean, you can talk about your life, but you're going to have to have spent a lot of time thinking about how you're presenting that and how you're going to do it in a way where it, it works, right? Yeah, I think I always, I, always th I always try to use the nervousness of reading as like the, the, the persona, the, the voice, the voice that come, came through when I, was, when I was younger and I, and I read a lot sort of performatively. Um, I think that I would always try to use that nervousness of the moment and like actually like master it and let it come through rather than like kind of like cowering and letting it control you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like if you ha like if you can't like 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 you have to let that nervous sort of nervous wreck at it like that that comes through and and sometimes you can really master sort of the intensity of of of, of what that sort of um, 
uh, situation, that nervousness, nervous situation you're put into as a reader, you know, as opposed to like backing down or as opposed to like letting it control you or letting it dominate you. Because how many people have you heard that like read too quiet or they read too or they read too fast or just trying to get through their poems as quickly well, as they can? That's the big thing is fast. And that's actually one of the few consistent things they found in the study, although not statistically significant for men. But in general, people read slow. I mean, people's their their speech is slower when they're reading poetry than normal speech. But I would hope so. I don't think it would work very well if you didn't. No, I mean we. Well, normal speech conversation is a lot quicker. It's a lot faster than we think. Because you know, you know, like you know, when you hear people speaking in like a foreign language, you think that they're talking super fast. But we actually talk really fast in English. As English, like I think we, we talk do. I, I mean, I think fast. we don't. I think you're right. I mean, I think there's been actually a lot of looking at that, but and it's true that idea that Spanish or. Italian or something like that. People, English speakers tend to think people are speaking really quickly. Yeah. And they, it is faster than English, but not by as much as people think it is. Yeah. Right? It's not really that... Significant. Well, I mean, it's somewhat significant, but it's not that great like people think it is. Um, yeah, so there is this funny thing in the study. They do specifically, at one point, compare Penn Sound poets to Iowa poets. <laughs> what do you think they found from that? I don't know. I don't know. Tell us. Penn Sound versus Iowa. So they compared. What they're specifically comparing is recordings from Penn Sound to male and female poets who earned an MFA at Iowa. <laughs> Great. Um, so they found male poets who earned an MFA at Iowa exhibited a potential trend toward lower dynamism. Not statistically significant. But interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Iowa poets trained before 1960, before after 1960, they said had an even lower speaking rate. Which again is, I think, this movement from a more formal style in the past to something in the present, right? Which is... Um, and then Penn Sound, they said, faster speaking rate, few long pauses. People didn't pause as much. But they said, of the 33 poets who sampled, sampled who employ pauses of two seconds or longer, only five are found on Penn Sound. Eileen Miles, Fred Moten, Peter Gizzy, Maymay Bersenbruge, and James Tate. <laughs> so I don't know. Does that even mean anything? No, I don't think it does, but it's just <laughs> interesting and funny. And I wanted to find, because... It was also funny to me because you were talking about, you know, people reading too quietly. And I think one of the first readings I remember seeing of famous poets. One of them was not famous at the time, but he was my teacher. Was Dean Young and Kenneth Cogue reading together. Cool. <laughs> and it was at, it was, a, it was in Chicago. So it was a poetry magazine sponsored event. They read together and they both read. So quiet and like they're just barely, you can barely hear them even with the mic. <laughs> but it was somewhat put on for both of them, I think, to some extent. But I also have heard recordings of them read and seen them read in other situations. Part of it is playing to your crowd, like you're talking about. This was mostly a room full of people who had subscriptions to Poetry Magazine, <laughs> which is a very different type of voice. Yeah, right? Okay. I don't know. I think it's a funny thing. It's a weird thing. But one thing that really worries me about all of this is people want to assume that this is a real thing, poet voice, right? But I... I don't know what good it does to talk about it in this way. I would like to see poets be better performers, certainly. But what does that mean is really complicated, like we've talked before. And it's funny, I was searching for articles on this, and I did find, like you mentioned Slam, there's a lot of people complaining about Slam voice. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, that's performance poetry, right? But it's uh, not, it's more performative, but that doesn't make it. What? Doesn't make it what? It's the opposite of what people, it's still, it's still very artificial. And it's still very conformist, right? It's still largely people reading in the same way. Although I did, in a lot of the articles talking about that, which I think is probably true, a lot of people noted that it's mostly only younger slam poets who are reading that way. Once people have been reading a while, they start to develop their own style, right? That it's mostly when you're starting out, which is another thing that I, I think that's probably true of the academic poet voice too, right? It's like maybe some people never develop their own style. But when you're starting out, no one can do that right away. It's not like you just get on stage for the first time performing in front of a bunch of people. It's nerve-wracking when you first start doing it, right? And Oh, yeah. Poetry probably more than anything else because that's like a part of yourself, right? It's not – there's no level of separation there. That's a really difficult thing. Of course – it takes time for people to come into their own on that. I think you know. I think so. I think I think you you learn through reading. You learn through uh, going to other readings, right? And reading and listening to other poets read in different um, in different ways in sort of different settings and scenes. You know, I, I can't say like uh, having traveled uh, enough and have heardin have heard readings, uh, having had heard readings all over the country and even abroad. Um, you know, definitely. I think that there's, there's, you know, there's, there's an academic thing, but you know, I, I used to go to poetry's in Cleveland at sort of DIY spaces and, and that shit was just all over the place and incredibly dynamic and, you yeah. know, and, and incredibly percussive and, 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 you know, um, pretty wild, you know, the, I'm just thinking of like the literary cafe, you know, like the, where we, you know, we used to hang out with, with uh, Steve Goldberg and Nick Trankner and Eric Allman and Miles Budimer and all the folks out there in Cleveland. And we used to have this like just scene, you know, and I, and I think that there were some people that would come in and have their little feature readings sometimes. And they did tend to have this sort of tens of academic voice. But a lot of times, you know, we would all try to outdo each other. Right. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a sort of like, it wasn't like a competition like slam, but we would try to outdo each other, like and come up with really funny ways to deliver the work, you know, um, but I want to go back to something that you said earlier that I think is now that we're talking more about this, I'm realizing that I think you might be right is I think it might be about the writing style and the type of, and, and like the way that, uh, the way that poets write similarly to each other. And then the delivery comes through the writing style, whether it's sort of like small lines or whether it's like this, um, you know, very like a, a prose poemish type of reading Type of, and I see a lot of that coming through right now, where it's like these prose poemy things, where it's really not really. I have a problem with it because I, I kind of don't think it's poetry at all, and, well, I, and, and but, I think it's but, I think it's like they're calling it poetry, but that that type of work tends to be read the same way whoever's reading it, whether it's a male, female, maybe, whatever. Maybe yeah, is. I know. I think I do think you, that is part of it. I think the way something is written, there are some things that that necessitates in how you're reading. But I also think it changes how you as an audience perceive what they're, what the way that they're reading, which might not be entirely accurate. That's just affecting your perception of it too, right? Sure. And it's, I don't know, like, what yeah. Did, what did you say a second ago? You said, you said that poetry shouldn't be, you, see, you didn't really use the word sentimental. You used the, what was the word you used? Oh, it shouldn't be sincere, sincere. right? Sincere. And I think, I think that like, actually, I've thought a lot about this. And I've thought about like how there's like fic how there's like nonfiction poets and there's fiction poets, kind yeah, of. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And and it's almost like there's like straight straight readings and then there's like the surrealist. You know, I mean, sur- I mean, uh, can, I don't even want to go down that, that rabbit saying, hole, maybe. Part, but, but like you're saying prose poems, right? But what does that mean? I know what you mean, but it's actually just a specific type of prose poems, right? It is a specific type of prose poem. All, almost all of Adam Parlor's prose poems. I don't think anyone would have ever known that from listening to me read poems out of them. Sure. Right. That's a different thing. Yeah, it is. And I think James Tate's earlier work. Would someone know those? Know which ones are prose poems and which ones weren't? 
Maybe no. Probably not, really. not. Not if you just heard him read them. No. So I think part of that's like something that's a specific type of prose poetry, right? But I do think there's something important about this. Like we take all kinds of things into account about people's speech all the time. Not to go on a big long sidetrack, but this immediately got me thinking. It seems very similar to me to another speech controversy that happened not too far in the past. Do you know about vocal fry? But yeah, there was this controversy. It actually started going on probably in the early 2000s, but a couple of years ago it really kind of hit a fever pitch about vocal fry, which is this... Think of it a lot with, like, someone like Kim Kardashian or, like, someone like that. This kind of like, oh, man, I'm going to have to put a clip in of it because it's hard to describe. But basically... Physically what's going on, but there's a specific sound to it, is you get to this point where your vocal cords are vibrating too fast and it makes your your throat kind of clenches shut to compensate and you get this kind of weird doubling that happens. People started complaining about it a lot. And in fact, I remember this happening on NPR, like people are calling in and complaining to NPR at this huge rate about their female on-air, what do you call them? Personas, people. Yeah, that, that, that's, that they weren't sounding professional because of this vocal fry. But it was total bullshit. And what it really is about is about people's ideas about women. Because linguists started looking at this, and you know what? The male... On-air people on NPR did it just as much as the female, but they didn't get they didn't get complained about it. <laughs> a lot of these things in speech, we have to remember, like we are interpreting them, we're filtering them through all these other cultural ideas we have, right? And a lot of times in really negative ways, and you got to be careful because. And I almost wonder if there's something like that going on here with poet voice to a certain extent. I think there's something anti-intellectual in this. And I think it's real interesting that in this study, they notice, oh, who does this the most? It's minority poets. Wow. That seem to fit more that way. Is it really? Or do we think that because we don't like it? Or... I mean, did they, when they pulled the sample decks or all the different poets, I mean, how many minority poets are in that list? There's a pretty good list. And there is actually some variation within that. But a lot of the strongest indicators towards the things that they're trying to say, although none of them were very significant outside of the women. The poet voice. More significant when you look at the minority poets. And they actually try to speculate that, oh, maybe that's because they're trying harder to try to seem academic. Maybe, or maybe it's just that people perceive things differently because it's a minority poet reading instead of some old white guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's valid. I don't know. I just think all of this is such bullshit. <laughs> There's nothing there. But and and this is like this is like designed to be as far as poetry gro- goes. A viral phenomenon. And it kind of has been. I've seen more and more articles about this. Right? And it's because people... But it's really not about poetry. It's about people hating on poets. It's about people hating on intellectuals, really, is what it's about. And it's like, look, I don't think going to an academic reading that all those people are great performers. But I'd still rather see that than... Go see a lot of things in public that are going on, right? And I don't see how this is helpful. I don't see how this... This is not directed towards trying to get poets to be better performance. This is just bashing people for no reason. I mean, they threw a lot of info and data in the hopper, you know? But it's bullshit data. Like, (laughs) none of it's even statistically significant. And they're even saying that in their paper. They're like, yeah, well, just to show... This is a, a trend we notice. It's not statistically significant. That's not how you conduct research. And, like, I don't even, even the even the conclusions you come to, I don't think are very valid, because I don't think what you're comparing even makes any sense. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, now that we're looking at the entire thing and the study, I mean, I have the study in front of me, and it's like 35 pages long, you know? When I look at the um, study, what, what it actually proved is that poet voice doesn't exist. That would be, if you were going to write a conclusion to this study properly, that's what you found. You pretty much rigged the thing the best way you can. You didn't narrow it down to one phenomena that you're looking for. You're looking at everything in all, in all, any element of speech you can find that's consistent among these poets that you picked out. You're not even comparing a consistent database of poetry readings and you're comparing it to speech, which doesn't even make sense. And you still didn't really find anything very statistically significant. And even what you did was only for female poets. That to me says poet voice isn't real. That should be the headline is that poet voice is bullshit. That's not a real thing. So if there's something that annoys you about a poetry reading, that's not what it is. Yeah, I'm looking through this, like, criteria where, like, they even have, like, education and, like, you know. No, but you're right. This is a lot of data. And what did they get out of that? Nothing. Nothing useful. Nothing significant. There's no, there's nothing about this that suggests there's any kind of poet voice whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of data in the hopper. Cultural. And it's, it's fishing, right? It's fishing. You're like, I think there's a poet voice. I think it's bad. So we're going to take all of this and pretty much create the best situation possible to be able to find something that we can say is poet voice, and you still can barely do it. And I mean, certainly this is more hurt by the bad reporting of it than anything else, but I mean, it's hard to blame anyone. This paper is very long, and there's a lot of data in there, like you're saying. temper my complaints about the paper a little bit, because they do say this in their conclusion. Indeed, the process of conducting this research has taught us to be more skeptical about our own and others' impressionistic judgments of poetry performance styles, simply by providing empirical methods for testing them. In preliminary fashion, it has also allowed us to begin to precisely describe what constitutes a formal, expressive, conversational, and dramatic style. I don't know about that, but... And it has helped us recognize that we and other listeners often make quick judgments about a poet's performance style based on a few key features, such as slow speaking rate or slow pitch speed, as with the refinement of MacArthur's previous characterization of poet voice, and that our preconceptions about a poet and our personal aesthetic ideological preferences for certain performance styles may lead us to stop listening carefully once we make such judgments. So they kind of do. They kind of they Pump do kind circle. of say a little bit on that, right? Unfortunately, it gets buried in a lot of the other things they're saying. But look, even this study is saying that's not helpful. So stop talking about poet voice. <laughs> I still think there is a poet voice. No, there's not, man. What is it? Well, maybe it's well, maybe what we're thinking of is that maybe it's the, maybe there's a style of writing. Maybe that's what it is. Okay, maybe, but then let's talk about style of writing. But that's not what that is when people are talking about poet voice. Yeah, no, I know, I know that, I know that. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, let's stop talking about that. That's not helpful, and I don't even think that's a real thing. And this is the best study, the most complete study someone's done to date on this, and it doesn't even prove it. <laughs> and they say, oh, this probably just leads you to make. Judgments where you aren't listening carefully. If you if you make those, I mean, even even the title of the study is called "Beyond Poet Voice: Colon Sampling the Parenthesis Non Close Parenthesis Performance Style of 100 American Poets." Yeah, and I do think I do think that's a problem. Although I do think in their conclusions at the end they temper a little bit much. They're playing to what they know is going to be the outcome. The narrative, because people like that narrative. People want to say, oh, how insufferable when you go to a poetry reading and people read this way. But that's really a stereotype, and it isn't 
based in reality, we can say with pretty pretty good certainty based on this study and also like even what we're talking about. I mean, the people you think about as quintessential poets don't fit into that stereotype at all. No, they don't. That's just nonsense. And if you're perpetuating that, you know, I don't know. To me, it's like that's no difference well, than perpetuating other stereotypes, perpetuating other biases, and it's just not helpful. You know? So maybe the author here is the author of the article, not the author of the study, is maybe misreading misreading things a little bit. I think the author of the article is coming in the same way a lot of people were, with an idea about what notion. poet voice is, and read the study in a cursory way, because it's a long study and it's hard to understand well. And again, they were trying to write an article that they thought people would like. And that's what people want to hear, right? They want to hear, oh, those insufferable poets. Isn't it so annoying when you have to listen to a poetry reading? That's what this is, basically. You know. Well, it's true, though. <laughs> it just depends. I mean, there's certainly a lot of insufferable poetry readings. But I don't think it's because of how people are reading. And sure the hell's not. It's about what they're writing. It's what to they're me. writing about, yeah. You know? I would agree with that. And you know what? If you're a poet, yeah. Try reading in a different way. But don't try to read like you're speaking. That's stupid. Figure <laughs> out like do you think an actor tries to read like they're speaking when they're reading on a stage? No. Figure out a way to read. That is interesting, and that works for the way that you're writing, because that's part of it too, right? It depends on what you're reading, I think. What your approach needs to be, right? Let's see the sam sampling really quick, see if they left somebody out. Let's see. Is it in alphabetical order? I No, it's not. It's not. It's... Funny. Yeah, they, I think they left... Uh, I, think, I think they left... Uh, <laughs> They left Franco era off here. No, they talk about Franco era in here, and <laughs> he was actually a bit of a problem for them because he Good. really didn't fit into their at all into their method. Of, he reads like every poem differently. Well, yeah, that that actually did come up. They were like, "Well, in this recording, he does kind of fit into some of those things, but in this one, he doesn't at all." And then he always—I wish I could find that spot real quick. But yeah, no, he was like someone who really didn't fit into the pattern at all. There's some part where they kind of go into, oh yeah, here's this whole part where they kind of mention a lot of people. Slowest pitch acceleration. Luis Gluck, Dean Young, and C.A. Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, C.A. Conrad's in here a lot. He had the uh, widest pitch range as well. <laughs> Is in the widest pitch range group. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... I also think it's weird, and part of this is like a problem with social science in general. Like, you really need to be careful about how you're structuring your data. Part of the, part of the thing that's weird with this study to me is you're looking at so many different things at the same time that to create meaningful conclusions from it is very difficult, Right? You really need to kind of pick one thing that you have an hypothesis about and uh, use that as your basis of how you're looking at your data. And they're not really doing that. They're just going all over the place and looking at anything that they want to in their data here. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're looking for something and then they try to prove it ultimately. Yeah, which is not how you're supposed to approach research. Nah, true. I would love to see someone... If you really think that there's a true thing as poet voice, then you need to figure out what that is, and you need to have a hypothesis of what makes poet voice, and you need to be able to show that in the recordings that you have. Tell us about it. I don't think you'll be able to do it, but... <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I think this is interesting, though, and I think... Uh, Again, well, it's like, I, I like I like that we cover this sort of like like mainstream sort of news. I guess this is kind of news. Yeah, it's about as close as you can get to news with poetry. Poetry I think, news, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> except for <laughs> except for poetry, re poets reading the news. <laughs> but we already did that. Um, <laughs> maybe someone should write a poem for poets reading the news about this study about poet voice. Maybe we should do that. That would be kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> a 
poem about a study about poem Oh, voice. it's so meta. It's making my head explode right now. <laughs> All right, well, I All think right, we've well, belabored this topic enough. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have anything coming up, I think, too much. Um, nah. nothing, nothing to plug particularly, I don't think. No, not really. So, see y'all again next week. See you next week.